When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So in, in the moments where it gets darker and darker from the psychological standpoint, all I'm saying is that there are those moments where one could, could see or predict how an individual would go, I want to go seek help, but I'm afraid that my dream and my career path to get back to the NBA will be hindered by it. And that is something that the NBA has categorically and decidedly let live within their ecosystem. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we speak to Royce White about mental health in the NBA and particularly uh, the recent suicide of Tyler Honeycutt and what that says about mental health uh, in the National Basketball Association. This week we are talking also about the NFL ownership and the anthem issue that they cannot seem to shake. I also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down Awards and so much more. But first, Royce White. Before we speak about the NBA and what they're now doing about mental health and how that relates to you, um, let's talk about the late Tyler Dion Honeycutt. Um, Dying by what police are calling a self-inflicted gunshot wound. How how did you know Tyler Honeycutt? Um, I played with Tyler Honeycutt for the Rio Grande Vipers. Um, and at the time it was the NBA D league. Now the G league and the Rio Grande Vipers were the Houston Rockets D league affiliate. And after my huge, um, you know, you could say conflict with them about mental health protocol and policy. Um, we, uh, you know, we, we came to a temporary agreement that, that would, you know, have me end up participating with the D league assignment that they put forward. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was where I first met Tyler Honeycutt. And who's the, who was the Tyler Honeycutt you knew? Man, very, very kind young man, um, smart, um, loving, caring guy, uh, you know, looked out for his teammates on the court, off the court. You know, he used to cut all of our hair for free just because he, he loved to do it, you know, and, um, and he was an unselfish teammate from my experience. And he was a funny guy, you know, he was, he was a, he was a really funny guy, (laughs) you know? Um, and, and we had some, some great times together, shared some great moments some good memories, um, some good conversations, some great laughs, some great wins, some tough losses. And, you know, he was, he was, he was a brother in my, in my opinion, as all of my, as all of my basketball counterparts are that I share a team with, but also the greater basketball community, that, that I share an industry with and, and then on to humanity is, you know, I, I consider every man, woman and child, a brother or sister, um, as a, as a God fearing man. So, so yeah. So, so what was your reaction when you heard that uh, Tyler had, had died? I mean, what did, was that, yeah. was that a shock to you? Had you guys ever discussed mental health issues or? Yeah, I, I um, 
yeah, I just broke down in tears, man, right away, you know, um, for, for a multitude of reasons and none because I foresaw that, that, um, that outcome. None, none of the reasons because I, that, that Tyler had ever given any indication that he was either a struggling with mental health or that it was at a, a serious place. Like it, 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 you know, it seems to have ended up being, um, but but I more so broke down and, and started crying because, again, we, we lost somebody much too young. Um, we lost somebody who who I don't believe was inherently diabolical or, or was inherently criminal or was inherently ma- malicious or or any of those things. Um, not that those people shouldn't have sympathy as well, because mm-hmm. that's part of the human condition that we've we've been well exposed to at this point in our in our in our evolution but um he specifically didn't didn't have those those type of elements from my experience with him and you know i just couldn't help but but think that the conversation that i had about mental health with the rockets was so public it it was so it had so much gravity to it at that moment in relation to the rockets the rgv my teammates, my teammates from the Rockets, my teammates from the RGV, and us having actual conversations about the politics of what was going on with mental health. Mm-hmm. Not about each other's mental health, but about my mental health because I was already being transparent with it in the framework of the NBA, but about the politics that were going on with the conversation. And, I, and, and as soon as I saw it and heard it, all I could think was that the way the conversation unfolded de-incentivized him to seek help in those most darkest mm. hours. And um, that was, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, that's not a hypothesis. That's like, I mean, that's like almost empirical, right? And, and, and so if you look later on to Kevin Love, who's a West Coast guy, UCLA, ironically, DeMar DeRozan, who's a West Coast guy, LA kid, ironically, they both talked in a way that verified that there was this permeating culture of mental health stigma amongst the players. Okay, so so anything that didn't acknowledge the reality of the mental health conversation in 2012 and 2013 can be categorically um, applied to players' de-incentivization to seek help. And I think that 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 is what we saw um, with, with Tyler Honeycutt. Now, again, it would be unfair for me. It, it would be it would be um, detrimental for me to not also. Uh, give the context that the mental health dynamic is the most dynamic um, domain that humans have observed. Um, The psychological domain is the most dynamic domain that humans have observed. And as such, um, there are, there is a panoply of things that, that played into the outcome of of Tyler Honeycutt. Um, And, and, and we don't know all of the facts there. I certainly don't. Um, But I'm just, I'm just generally aware that, when things become tragic, there are monopoly of, of things that contribute to that. So it's not just that the NBA created a de-incentivizing culture to seek mental health help, but it's that they did so unnecessarily, extremely unnecessarily. Their de-incentivization was both identified, pushed back on, and then, and then dismissed by them. And, and that's where my tears came because it's not about can we can we it's not about with 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 what certainty 
can we prevent the tragic? It's with what foot forward can we can we attempt to get a better outcome? And uh, we didn't do a good job there. We didn't do a good enough job there. And I and I must have participated. And, and you know, part of my tears were <coughs> that I participated in that. So was it was it the way that my message was coming off? Was it the way that I interacted with Houston? Was it you know was I too forceful with my stance? Should I have aimed more of my attention towards my teammates and go on an individual mental health initiative within the within the players uh, community. Uh, and, and that obviously wasn't what I was doing. What I was doing was speaking to a, a macro level issue that had a microcosm within the NBA and its, and its political structure. So, you know, it, we all fail, you know, and uh, his brother Michael Eric Dyson puts very eloquently that we're not all guilty, but we all are responsible. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a very, uh, it's a very true statement. And I felt it in that moment. Yeah, I know. I hear you. So, but but just to put a fine line under what you're saying, you're saying that it was really the way the Rockets treated you helped create a stigma around seeking help because they didn't, you know, treat you with any sort of generosity or beneficence. They they, they treated you as if you were the problem. Well, it's not even about just me, but definitely that that was the that is a the example. But you got to realize that before I played in Houston, Metal World Peace was already there. Right. John Lucas, I'm, I'm not sure if he played in Houston, but John Lucas has mm-hmm. been in Houston for a long time doing uh, um, substance and rehabilitative work with, with basketball players. So it wasn't just me. It, it was that the way that they decided to address the mental health conversation publicly in that moment was totally dismissive. And in its dismissiveness, it had a, a, a suggestion that not only are we dismissing this as not being an issue that we see worth addressing, but if you're a player and you want to bring this forward or if you want to seek help, um, we, we will and can treat you the way that we're treating Royce, which is that we'll put him out to the media as this laughing stock for saying that the most important social issue of our time is the, just that, the most important social issue of our time, mental health. And, uh, and, and we have the power to do that. And you don't have the power to change it. So, of course, a Tyler Honey, and here's how it delineates. So a Tyler Honeycutt falls out of the NBA, goes overseas to Europe. But do we think for a moment that his dream of getting back to the NBA had ceased? Mine surely hasn't. So in, in the moments where it gets darker and darker from the psychological standpoint, all I'm saying is that there are those moments where one could, could see or predict how an individual would go, I want to go seek help, but I'm afraid that my dream and my career path to get back to the NBA will be hindered by it. And that is something that the NBA has categorically and decidedly let live within their ecosystem. Mm. And let's talk about progress, though. I mean, you mentioned Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and them going public with their own mental wellness struggles. Um, Do you think this is generating a new era of understanding right now? Um. I can't, I can't say, I can't say that, you know, I'm Dave, I I have to, I have to just keep it all the way real, you know, and and I've been on the the ground floor of this thing for the last six, seven years. And, and what I can say is that the mental health conversation from the greater society is being moved forward unwillingly. Okay. This isn't a willing movement of the mental health conversation. We are getting some of the most, some of the worst possible, most tragic results 
in our society globally today as we speak. And it's been it's been incrementally uh, getting getting worse to a certain standard over the last 20, 20 or so years. And yes, we're feeding more people. And yes, there are less people that are homeless. And yes, you know, society overall has, you know, the, the, uh, the rising tide has, has risen all boats. But there's also a complexity that has, that has been birthed that has made the mental health aspect specifically more tumultuous than we've ever seen, which you can point to more specifically is this occurrence of young white males shooting schools or being mass shooters in America, mm. which is only a young white male issue predominantly. And along that vein, suicide in America is predominantly only a white male issue. Seven out of 10 of the suicides in America are white males. And, and even more so to put context behind that stat is that, that number of, of, of total annual suicides doubles the number of homicides regardless of race or gender. So white males are committing suicide two times more than all people are committing homicide in America, including Chicago, for the people who want to politicize the, the, the gun thing, right? Including Chicago. So um, my, my point in all of that is to say that we're fighting a very uphill battle. It's a steep slope, and I don't even know if we can generate the momentum to close the gap for, for what we aspire to, to have the outcome be. I don't know if that's possible. But what I can tell you is that when two individuals make their struggles transparent, it is a progress. Nobody can deny that. That is a progress. What Kevin Love did is a progress. What DeMar DeRozan did is a progress. Kelly Oubre, uh, uh, Tyron Lue. But under, people have to understand that this conversation has just circled back around. It was never not there in the first place. And we've treated it as such, which is, which is telling of the way that we're analyzing issues socially as a people, as a, as a society in general. And that's the fans, the media, uh, um, the, the players, the coaches, and everyone. Because everybody jumped on board as though this was a new issue. And I'm not pointing yeah. that out to say, I'm not pointing that out to say that. Royce was the first symbol of mental health. No, 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 no. I was just the first person to challenge policy publicly. But all of these players that have had alcohol issues, drug issues since the NBA's inception are the evidence of where, how long we've been, uh, uh, um, how long the mental health issue has been there right in front of us. We're just now starting to understand that all of those drug issues, all of those uh, alcohol abuse issues, all of those anger issues, all of any of the issues that players have dealt with with any consistency or any, um, you could say, immediacy even, not, not that they were chronic issues, but even one-offs, had a mental health component. So our ability to reconcile these issues for what they really are is where I draw the measurement of progress truly because we're, we're, we're facing the clock. And we all know it. The greatest minds among us have alluded to that, Stephen Hawking and, and plenty of others, but more recently Stephen Hawking, who is, who is you know, now gone, rest in peace, um, They've alluded to that, that we are facing the clock and we are our biggest enemy on the clock so far as we can tell. And when 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 a DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love come out and talk about mental health and then you throw together a PSA and you roll out a plan that I wrote up for you five years previous and make it seem like it's your commitment to progress. Not only is it disingenuous, but it most certainly represents the type of mindset and dishonesty that will get in the way of the true progress that we need. Well, I certainly believe that there's been erasure, if you will, with regards to your place in this narrative. But but what what I struggle with is the question of incentive. What do you think the incentive is to erase your place uh, in this story, in this in this discussion? 
Oh, oh, that's a, so. I mean, we'd have to break down who we're talking about specifically because there's some different roles in these in these hierarchies, and and not only up the chain in the hierarchy either. So th- there's different roles as to why pe- people have different roles and different incentives as to why to try and mitigate my story for what it truly is. If you want to go all the way to the top, it, you you could say that a guy like David Stern or Commissioner Silver's job is to maintain the peace, balance, and, and harmony between all of the components of the NBA ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And anytime somebody, who, anytime somebody pops up who disrupts that in any manner is a risk more so than an asset in, in their personal ability to maintain the harmony or to maintain the, you could say, maintain the convenience of their, their trying to keep harmony, right? So what I said was that and they knew this and the public just wasn't privy to these conversations because I was dancing around them because I had my own selfish ambitions of still trying to reconcile the, the relationship between myself and the NBA. But what they know about what I was saying truly is that this isn't about players with anxiety. This isn't about players with depression. That's one thing. And players have always been able to get relatively good psychological help. The question is whether they've been able to get it without being without their standing being negatively yeah. impacted, right? So, but, but that's not price. even, without paying a huge, huge price. But that's not even the real issue. The real issue is, is, is much, much deeper. It's, it's three, four, five degrees deeper. It's, what are we talking about when we say that players can't smoke marijuana mm-hmm. because this is a family-friendly environment? I, I heard Stephen A. say something along these lines that if you buy a ticket, you shouldn't have to come and watch somebody uh, who's who's high on marijuana. Okay, well, number one, I kind of just agree with that in a sense. But the bigger question is, is how is it that we've come so far in this society that we've normalized alcohol to the point where patrons coming to games and getting drunk in front of their kids, in front of other people's kids, is accepted, and a guy who's high on marijuana that he might have smoked three hours ago is 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 the is the monstrosity right is there is it worth revising the policy of alcohol consumption at 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 sporting events professional sporting events in the honor of them being child child friendly spaces explicitly and what we know about child development and family development is that worth it those were the questions i was asking and so for david stern that just doesn't mess up his relationship with the owners and the teams it messes up the relationship of the entire ecosystem at a fundamental level Mm. Wow. So I, I definitely hear what you're saying. So now the NBA has a new mental health director, correct? Absolutely. No, actually, the NBA Players Union has a new mental a health director. Players Union, yeah. Had they had a mental health director in the past? Or is this, Absolutely this is a new not. development? Absolutely not. It's the first one in all of pro sports, as, as reported by uh, Mary Pylon on, on Bleacher Report. Um, mm. So, I mean, it's just... It's it's it, it was a shock for me to learn that it was even possibly the first mental health director in all of pro sports. Um, and that that speaks to something greater about sports in general. But, um, you know, I suggested that five, six years ago, people remember the right. conversation. I said that we need a medical point person. We need a policy. We need a protocol. Um, and people went, well, what are you talking about? You're, you're, you know, you're you're talking cryptic. It's like, no, no, no. What I'm saying is 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 simple. If you break your toe, you would like a, a foot surgeon to perform the surgery. But if you can't have that, you would take a general surgeon. 
if, if worse came to worse and you needed an immediate surgery and there were no foot surgeons around. You take a general surgeon, but under no circumstances would you take a plumber to perform mm -hmm. that surgery and to allow general managers who went to school for accounting and have a fetish for fantasy basketball, under no circumstances are they qualified to make decisions autonomously, unilaterally in regards to mental health. And so far as that goes, neither are the owners or the coaches. I mean, I don't even, that, that, that's not even, that's not even a defensible, there's not even arguments you could make there unless you're just like, you know, kind of an asshole, right? It's like, this is, this is just, these are just facts. So my point in saying that is that I said we needed a mental health director five years ago. The union knew it five years ago. Why did it take the union six years to do it? Because they rode the wave in the momentum of DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love too. That's my point is it's not just all on the NBA. There's just this massive negligence that people need to be, become aware of and commit to doing something different or else we're not going to beat that clock. And I see that clearly. Mm. His name is Royce White. Royce, uh, thank you so much for your time. Before we say goodbye, though, I really uh, just want to ask you about how you're doing, what your plans are, uh, what you see yourself doing in the next uh, several years. Yeah, so I've, uh, I've started a... <clears throat> a company called Vitruvian that is my uh, social entrepreneurship parent company. And underneath it is, is now what used to be my mental health nonprofit. It's changed into a for-profit, um, Anxious Minds. And uh, we are just brainstorming on how to actually move this, move things forward in a genuine and, and efficacious manner. Um, and it, it could be anything from healthcare to education to food and water, transportation, um, all sorts of things, you know, and, and we have some very cool projects in the works. People can look forward to the, the, the public unfolding or unveiling of zone technology, which is long story short, we've, we found a way to, to expedite the mastery of meditation and, and the physiological benefits that, that have been studied now of meditation from the Buddhist monks in the monasteries, we, we now know what is actually occurring there on a phys physiological level and what benefits it has and how to actually expedite people's mastery of that. Um, and uh, it's sure to be one of the first very efficient stress relievers in a modern, you know, Western society. And um, to, to, to expound on that just a tad bit further is the problem with the Buddhist Eastern philosophy is that it doesn't reconcile with the Western society because we are not set up to live resignation as lifestyles. Um, and, and as such, the type of meditative practice that, you, that, that, they, that, they, um, that they indulge in is not something that's efficacious for people in Western society unless we were going to restructure the entire society. So as you would expect, the Western society and people within it would find a way to expedite that, that mastery and give people those benefits. So. Damn. And I, and I always ask you this, I always ask all my guests this, but I always love the answers you give. What music are you listening to these days? Oh, wow. Uh, J. Cole's last album was amazing. I mean, I'm a 90s kid. I love mm -hmm. hip hop. Um, and he, he just did something that was absolutely incredible. He spoke to a lot of issues and just the general vibe of that, that authentic hip hop mixed with R&B and, 
in, in that era was was all through his album. I, I love and respect and appreciate him for it. I appreciate him being so outspoken on a number of issues and, uh, you know, a number of other things I'm listening to well. But but roll that one out when, when we when we sign off. Oh, you got it. Hey, Royce White, I really do appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you, brother. Count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up, count it up. And now a quick word about the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the latest issue is out, and it is the 1968 issue. It's 50 years from that revolutionary year, 1968, and we've got articles about the legacy of the French strikes, the legacy of the killings in Mexico City, one of the least discussed parts of 1968, the massacre of Tlatelolco Square right before the Olympics, and there's an interview with one of the leaders of the new left at that time, Todd Gitlin. We have so much in this issue. It is a fantastic buy. What people should do is go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and you could read the entire issue online or pick it up at your local magazine stand. Are there still magazine stands? I don't know. Get a subscription then. Get it sent to your house. The Nation magazine, indispensable journalism for a very dispensable age in which we live. And now, back to Edge of Sports. And now I've got my choice words about the NFL and the latest anthem imbroglio. Okay, look, the cabal of alt-right, morally decrepit billionaires that run the National Football League has officially blinked. The league, in a joint statement with the NFL Players Association, has announced that they were suspending their own recently adopted policy of fining or suspending players who don't stand, quote, at respect for the anthem. What accounts for this about-face? A tsunami of a backlash that arose against the land of the Dolphins. In Miami, it was announced that there would be a new team policy where players who protest police violence or racial inequity, or Trump for that matter, or the iron hand of the NFL executive class during the anthem will face stark punishments beyond anything we had heard until now. Players on the Dolphins would have faced fines and suspensions of up to four games. This is a league, keep in mind, that just last month announced that it was suspending Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Jameis Winston for only three games for sexually assaulting an Uber driver. But players on the Dolphins, who give a damn about changing the world, were told that they would receive an even harsher verdict. Within hours of the announcement, the Dolphins and the NFL were reeling. Now, the owner of the Dolphins is Stephen Ross. In addition to being worth close to $8 billion, he is known for starting an organization called Rise, which on its website says that it is a, quote, nonprofit organization dedicated to harnessing the unifying power of sports to improve race relations and drive social progress, end quote. He also is someone who said that he was all in support of the players' right to protest up until the point when that orange smear in the White House started to yip. As he said in his deposition during the Colin Kaepernick collusion case, I was totally supportive of the players until Trump made his statement. Wow, how lovely. A real profile in courage. Now, Stephen Ross deserves every bit of criticism coming his way, but his own exposed hypocrisies have arisen from the NFL's broader approach to this question. At the risk of stating the obvious, their punitive policy had nothing to do with the anthem 
and everything to do with silencing black voices that are speaking out against police violence. Imagine if players said that they were taking a knee during the anthem as a tribute to the troops. No one would have blinked, and ownership would have swooned. This is about the political substance of what they are doing. The Dolphins were merely the first team tasked with submitting to the league what their punishments would be. In the words of ESPN's Jeff Darlington, 31 other teams will submit similar statements to the NFL declaring how they might potentially discipline players for any number of rules violations as they do each year. And now all of them will be scrutinized for how they individually address protests. 31 more PR problems for the NFL. This is exactly what the NFL was trying to head off by now stating that it is all under review with the union. The NFL executives were also getting word that their ham-handedness was causing a reaction among players beyond what they could handle. Tennessee Titans Pro Bowl defensive lineman Jarrell Casey has said that he will continue to protest racial inequity during the anthem, saying, I'm going to take my fine. It is what it is. I ain't going to let them stop me from doing what I want to do. They want to have these battles between players and organizations. This is the way it's going to be. And that's not all Casey said. When asked about the death threats received by his teammate Delaney Walker, when Walker protested during the anthem, Casey said, There is always going to be blowback. That is what America is about. They always like to go on social media and go hard. It is what it is. At the end of the day, I don't pay no mind to it. I'm going to do what I do, and that's going to bring light to my community. At the end of the day, we got to do a job, but I will continue to use my platform to keep on speaking up." End quote. Stephen Ross wants to eliminate that platform. It will not happen without a fight. Here is hoping that every member of the Miami Dolphins takes a knee at the start of the 2018 season and goes all I am Spartacus on Stephen Ross and blows his desiccated mind. You can't suspend everybody, but it would be hilarious to see him try. Hey everybody, this is Dave Zirin from the Edge of Sports Podcast. We are trying to add all kinds of bells and whistles to this pod. To do that, we need more folks who can sustain its existence. Go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. That is where you'll find us. If you become a patron, you'll see you get all kinds of little treats. But it's so important that people help us sustain and do the work. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. And you can give five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or if you're feeling mighty generous, a hell of a lot more than that. And all of that helps us do the kind of work that we're trying to do on the regular. Patreon.com slash Edge of Sports Pod. And now back to the broadcast. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award stand up. goes to the aforementioned Jarrell Casey of the Tennessee Titans. I read his quotes about, I'm going to take my fine. But he also spoke about Colin Kaepernick. This is what he said about Kaepernick and collusion. He said, I think Colin Kaepernick definitely deserves to play. For all these trash quarterbacks you see that get a shot, that come in and sit on the bench all day, you've got a starting quarterback that's out there that can go out there and play. You know he has the skill set to be a starting quarterback, and you hold him out just because he's speaking his mind. At the end of the day, it speaks volumes on what these people really think about you. 
I love this Jarrell Casey. He's if you have never heard of him before, he's actually a top echelon player. He's made three Pro Bowls in eight years. He just signed a mammoth extension. In other words, he's not going anywhere. They're not going to be able to Kaepernick him unless they want a ton of dead money on their salary cap. They're just not going to do it. But what they do have on their hands in Tennessee, in one of the reddest of red states, is a player who's willing to stand up and be heard and, as he said, use his platform. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award, Sit Your Ass Down, Sit your ass down. goes to a French ambassador who was objecting to Trevor Noah, host of The Daily Show. If you didn't hear about this, Trevor Noah congratulated Africa on France's World Cup victory. It was hilarious. The French ambassador got very angry. And here was Trevor Noah's response. So now, here's the thing. All right. First things first. I understand what he's saying, because I I read up on this afterwards, right? I take criticism. I'll listen to what somebody says to me. You know, I I genuinely believe you should. And what, what it turns out is, in France... A lot of, like, Nazis in, in that country use the fact that these players are of African descent to shit on their Frenchness, you know? So they go, you're not French. You're from Africa. Go back to where you came from. You're not French. They use that as, as you know, as a line of attack. Now, my thing is, my opinion is, coming from South Africa, coming from Africa, and even watching the World Cup in the United States of America, black people all over the world were celebrating the Africanness of the French players, right? Not in a negative way, but rather in a positive way, going, look at these Africans who can become French. You know what I mean? It's, it's a celebration of that achievement. And so this is what I find, I find weird in, in these arguments, is that people go, they're not African, they're French. Then I'm like, why can't they be both? Right? right? Why, why is that duality only afforded to a select group of people? Why can they not be African? So what, what, what they're arguing here is, in order to be French, you have to erase everything that is African? Because what, what do they mean when they say that? Our culture, our this, our this. Like, so, so you cannot be French and African at the same time, which, which I vehemently disagree with. I go, you've, you've seen those players. I love them. Paul Pogba, N'Golo Kante. I, I've watched all of them. Like, I love those players, and I love how African they are and how French they are. I don't take their Frenchness away, but I also don't think you need to take their Africanness away. And here's, here's why it vexes me, to be honest. This is what I find interesting, is like, when I read stories from Africa and when I watch what politicians say, especially in France, about African migrants, when they are unemployed, when they may commit a crime, or when they are considered unsavory, it's the African immigrants. When their children go on to provide a World Cup victory for France, we should only refer to them as France. And we even saw it with that African man who climbed the building to rescue the baby. Do you remember that? We watched him climb that building. He rescued the child. And then they gave him French citizenship. They said, you are now French. So now I'm going, so is he now no longer African? Is that what you're saying? So when he was on the ground, he was African. (laughs) And then he climbed up, and as soon as he rescued the baby, now he's French. So if he dropped the baby, the African dropped the baby. (laughs) Like, 
We just played a couple minutes out of what is a nine-minute video. People should definitely seek it out. Trevor Noah, at his best, is something very special. Well, that's all we have for this week's podcast. Thank you to Royce White for appearing on the show. Thank you to all of you out there listening. The numbers for the show recently have been fantastic, and we really appreciate it. Please continue to give the show ratings on iTunes, Stitcher, your podcast app of choice. Please continue to write little reviews of the show. All of that makes a huge difference to getting it out there. I don't know how that works. It has something to do with the word algorithm. Don't really understand it, but that's okay. Thank you again to everybody out there listening. Uh, I'm going to take a week off. Going to go on vacation. Uh, Leaving tomorrow morning, actually, from the time I'm recording this. Where I'm going, I do not know. What I'll do, who can say? But it's going to be a blast. And then we'll be back in full effect. See how that sounds? A little unrational. A lot of podcasts like to use the word dramatical. Fresh for 2018. You suckers. Alright, we're out of here. Peace. Stay frosty, everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.